book four section fifty five part two of the world as will and idea volume one by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book four section fifty five part two such considerations however are really foreign to our subject some explanation as to the relation between the character and the knowledge in which all its motives lie will now be more to the point the motives which determine the manifestation of the character or conduct influence it through the medium of knowledge but knowledge is changeable and often vacillates between truth and error yet as a rule is rectified more and more in the course of life though certainly in very different degrees therefore the conduct of a man may be observably altered without justifying us in concluding that his character has been changed what the man really and in general wills the striving of his inmost nature and the end he pursues in accordance with it this we can never change by influence upon him from without by instruction otherwise we could transform him seneca says admirably velle non discitur whereby he preferred truth to his stoic philosophers who taught docere posse virtutem from without the will can only be affected by motive but these can never change the will itself for they have power over it only under the presupposition that it is precisely such as it is all that they can do is thus to alter the direction of its effort that is bring it about that it shall seek in another way than it has hitherto done that which it invariably seeks therefore instruction improved knowledge in other words influence from without may indeed teach the will that it erred in the means it employed and can therefore bring it about that the end after which it strives once for all according to its inner nature shall be pursued on an entirely different path and in an entirely different object from what has hitherto been the case but it can never bring about that the will shall will something actually different from what it has hitherto willed this remains unchangeable for the will is simply this willing itself which would have to be abolished the former however the possible modification of knowledge and through knowledge of conduct extends so far that the will seeks to attain its unalterable end for example mohammed's paradise at one time in the real world at another time in a world of imagination adapting the means to each and thus in the first case applying prudence might and fraud and in the second case abstinence justice alms and pilgrimages to mecca but its effort itself has not therefore changed still less the will itself thus although its action certainly shows itself very different at different times its willing has yet remained precisely the same velle non discitur for motives to act it is necessary not only that they should be present but that they should be known for according to a very good expression of the schoolmen which we referred to once before causa finalis movet non secundum suum esse reale sed secundum esse cognitum for example in order that the relation may appear that exists in a given man between egoism and sympathy it is not sufficient that he should possess wealth and see others in want 
but he must also know what he can do with his wealth both for himself and for others not only must the suffering of others be presented to him but he must know both what suffering and also what pleasure is perhaps on a first occasion he did not know all this so well as on a second and if on a similar occasion he acts differently this arises simply from the fact that the circumstances were really different as regards the part of them that depends on his knowing them although they seem to be the same as ignorance of actually existing circumstances robs them of their influence so on the other hand entirely imaginary circumstances may act as if they were real not only in the case of a particular deception but also in general and continuously for example if a man is firmly persuaded that every good action will be repaid him a hundredfold in a future life such a conviction affects him in precisely the same way as a good bill of exchange at a very long date and he can give from mere egoism as from another point of view he would take from egoism he has not changed himself velle non discitur it is on account of this great influence of knowledge upon action while the will remains unchangeable that the character develops and its different features appear only little by little therefore it shows itself different in every period of life and an impetuous wild youth may be succeeded by a staid sober manly age especially what is bad in the character will always come out more strongly with time yet sometimes it occurs that passions which a man gave way to in his youth are afterwards voluntarily restrained simply because the motives opposed to them have only then come into knowledge hence also we are all innocent to begin with and this merely means that neither we nor others know the evil of our own nature it only appears with the motives and only in time do the motives appear in knowledge finally we come to know ourselves as quite different from what a priori we supposed ourselves to be and then we are often terrified at ourselves repentance never proceeds from a change of the will which is impossible but from a change of knowledge the essential and peculiar in what i have always willed i must still continue to will for i myself am this will which lies outside time and change i can therefore never repent of what i have willed though i can repent of what i have done because led by false conceptions i did something that was not in conformity with my will the discovery of this through fuller knowledge is repentance this extends not merely to worldly wisdom to the choice of the means and the judgment of the appropriateness of the end to my own will but also to what is properly ethical for example i may have acted more egotistically than is in accordance with my character led astray by exaggerated ideas of the need in which i myself stood or of the craft falseness and wickedness of others or because i hurried too much that is acted without deliberation determined not by motives distinctly known in abstracto but by merely perceived motives by the present and the emotion which it excited and which was so strong that i had not properly the use of my reason but the return of reflection is thus here also merely corrected knowledge and from this repentance may proceed which always proclaims itself by making amends for the past as far as is possible yet it must be observed that in order to deceive themselves men prearrange what seem to be hasty errors but are really secretly considered actions 
for we deceive and flatter no one through such fine devices as ourselves the converse of the case we have given may also occur i may be misled by too good an opinion of others or want of knowledge of the relative value of the good things of life or some abstract dogma in which i have since lost faith and thus i may act less egotistically than is in keeping with my character and lay up for myself repentance of another kind thus repentance is always corrected knowledge of the relation of an act to its special intention when the will reveals its ideas in space alone that is through mere form the matter in which other ideas in this case natural forces already reign resists the will and seldom allows the form that is striving after visibility to appear in perfect purity and distinctness that is in perfect beauty and there is an analogous hindrance to the will as it reveals itself in time alone that is through actions in the knowledge which seldom gives it the data quite correctly so that the action which takes place does not accurately correspond to the will and leads to repentance repentance thus always proceeds from corrected knowledge not from the change of the will which is impossible anguish of conscience for past deeds is anything but repentance it is pain at the knowledge of one's self in one's inmost nature that is as will it rests precisely on the certainty that we have still the same will if the will were changed and therefore the anguish of conscience mere repentance it would cease to exist the past could then no longer give us pain for it exhibited the expressions of a will which is no longer that of him who has repented we shall explain the significance of anguish of conscience in detail farther on the influence which knowledge as the medium of motives exerts not indeed upon the will itself but upon its appearance in actions is also the source of the principal distinction between the action of men and that of brutes for their methods of knowledge are different the brute has only knowledge of perception the man through reason has also abstract ideas conceptions now although man and brute are with equal necessity determined by their motives yet man as distinguished from the brute has a complete choice which has often been regarded as a freedom of the will in particular actions although it is nothing but the possibility of a thoroughly fought-out battle between several motives the strongest of which then determines it with necessity for this the motives must have assumed the form of abstract thoughts because it is really only by means of these that deliberation that is a weighing of opposite reasons for action is possible in the case of the brute there can only be a choice between perceptible motives presented to it so that the choice is limited to the narrow sphere of its present sensuous perception therefore the necessity of the determination of the will by the motive which is like that of the effect by the cause can be exhibited perceptibly and directly only in the case of the brutes because here the spectator has the motives just as directly before his eyes as their effect while in the case of man the motives are almost always abstract ideas which are not communicated to the spectator and even for the actor himself the necessity of their effect is hidden behind their conflict for only in abstracto can several ideas as judgments and chains of conclusions lie beside each other in consciousness and then free from all determination of time work against each other till the stronger overcomes the rest and determines the will 
this is the complete choice or power of deliberation which man has as distinguished from the brutes and on account of which freedom of the will has been attributed to him in the belief that his willing is a mere result of the operations of his intellect without a definite tendency which serves as its basis while in truth the motives only work on the foundation and under the presupposition of his definite tendency which in his case is individual that is a character a fuller exposition of this power of deliberation and the difference between human and brute choice which is introduced by it will be found in the two fundamental problems of ethics to which i therefore refer for the rest this power of deliberation which man possesses is one of those things that makes his existence so much more miserable than that of the brute for in general our greatest sufferings do not lie in the present as ideas of perception or as immediate feelings but in the reason as abstract conceptions painful thoughts from which the brute which lives only in the present and therefore in enviable carelessness is entirely free it seems to have been the dependence which we have shown of the human power of deliberation upon the faculty of abstract thinking and thus also of judging and drawing conclusions also that led both descartes and spinoza to identify the decisions of the will with the faculty of asserting and denying the faculty of judgment from this descartes deduced the doctrine that the will which according to him is indifferently free is the source of sin and also of all theoretical error and spinoza on the other hand concluded that the will is necessarily determined by the motives as the judgment is by the reasons the latter doctrine is in a sense true but it appears as a true conclusion from false premises the distinction we have established between the ways in which the brutes and man are respectively moved by motives exerts a very wide influence upon the nature of both and has most to do with the complete and obvious differences of their existence while an idea of perception is in every case the motive which determines the brute the man strives to exclude this kind of motivation altogether and to determine himself entirely by abstract ideas thus he uses his prerogative of reason to the greatest possible advantage independent of the present he neither chooses nor avoids the passing pleasure or pain but reflects on the consequences of both in most cases setting aside quite insignificant actions we are determined by abstract thought motives not present impressions therefore all particular privation for the moment is for us comparatively light but all renunciation is terribly hard for the former only concerns the fleeting present but the latter concerns the future and includes in itself innumerable privations of which it is the equivalent the causes of our pain as of our pleasure lie for the most part not in the real present but merely in abstract thoughts it is these which are often unbearable to us inflict torments in comparison with which all the sufferings of the animal world are very small for even our own physical pain is not felt at all when they are present indeed in the case of keen mental suffering we even inflict physical suffering on ourselves merely to distract our attention from the former to the latter this is why in great mental anguish men tear their hair beat their breasts lacerate their faces or roll on the floor 
for all these are in reality only violent means of diverting the mind from an unbearable thought just because mental pain being much greater makes us insensible to physical pain suicide is very easy to the person who is in despair or who is consumed by morbid depression even though formerly in comfortable circumstances he recoiled at the thought of it in the same way care and passion thus the play of thought wear out the body oftener and more than physical hardships and in accordance with this epictetus rightly says perturbant homines non res ipsae sed de rebus decreta and seneca plura sunt quae nos terrent quam quae premunt et saepius opinione quam re laboramus eulenspiegel also admirably bantered human nature for going uphill he laughed and going downhill he wept indeed children who have hurt themselves often cry not at the pain but at the thought of the pain which is awakened when someone condoles with them such great differences in conduct and in life arise from the diversity between the methods of knowledge of the brutes and man further the appearance of the distinct and decided individual character the principal distinction between man and the brute which has scarcely more than the character of the species is conditioned by the choice between several motives which is only possible through abstract conceptions for only after a choice has been made are the resolutions which vary in different individuals an indication of the individual character which is different in each while the action of the brute depends only upon the presence or absence of the impression supposing this impression to be in general a motive for its species and finally in the case of man only the resolve and not the mere wish is a valid indication of his character both for himself and for others but the resolve becomes for himself as for others a certain fact only through the deed the wish is merely the necessary consequence of the present impression whether of the outward stimulus or the inward passing mood and is therefore as immediately necessary and devoid of consideration as the action of the brutes therefore like the action of the brutes it merely expresses the character of the species not that of the individual that is it indicates merely what man in general not what the individual who experiences the wish is capable of doing the deed alone because as human action it always requires a certain deliberation and because as a rule a man has command of his reason is considerate that is decides in accordance with considered and abstract motives is the expression of the intelligible maxims of his conduct the result of his inmost willing and is related as a letter to the word that stands for his empirical character itself merely the temporal expression of his intelligible character in a healthy mind therefore only deeds oppress the conscience not wishes and thoughts for it is only our deeds that hold up to us the mirror of our will the deed referred to above that is entirely unconsidered and is really committed in blind passion is to a certain extent an intermediate thing between the mere wish and the resolve therefore by true repentance which however shows itself as action also it can be obliterated as a falsely drawn line from that picture of our will which our course of life is i may insert the remark here as a very good comparison 
that the relation between wish and deed has a purely accidental but accurate analogy with that between the accumulation and discharge of electricity end of book four section fifty five part two recording by expatriate in bangor maine